dog. All right, folks. Welcome on back to another episode of the Boomastic Cast. Alexander Hawk over there. How you doing, Bubba? I'm doing good, buddy. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Well, I'm Matt. Buddy, I'm sure is doing good. He's working the boards in the back, but I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. We're, we're kind of stepping away from production for a little bit uh, to bring you guys a little boombastic cast because that's how important y'all are to us out there is we, you know, we can't halt the casts and you can't fault the cast. You know what I mean? That's just how it goes. Smooth like. Uh, me and Alex have been away practicing our jazz careers, hoping it really takes off. You know, we do the, the Bill Cosby. When we had the great Happy Anderson on the show, we talked about the Bill Cosby doing the tap dance in the sand. And uh, we've truly been inspired by that. You know what I mean? So, Alex, you know, you- we, we gather today to talk about a great filmmaker. Great filmmaker. You know what I mean? The great Wes Craven. Um, when you start to think of people's careers in film and you go, my God, dude, there's some super heavyweight films, you know, you're talking about a nightmare in Elm Street, last house on the left. I know I went out of order, but like those movies are heavy duty shit. You know what I mean? You know, reset, you know, Hills have eyes devastating, you know, devastating part two, maybe not so much, but the first one devastation. And uh and then there's almost like a resurfacing a little bit of with uh with like a, in the nineties. Like there's a there's a couple of resurfacings he's had, but I, I consider the second one kind of people under the stairs, you know, um Serpent in the Rainbow, you know, Shocker. I feel like that's another period where he was kind of back booming again. And then it, it, he returned again when Scream when Scream he like reinvented Horrier. With the scream deals, for better or worse, some people would say uh, Kevin Williamson uh, is wrote Scream. He also wrote "I Know What You Did Last Summer." So, I, I, he's the in, like his influence was that era. That whole style uh, was very Kevin Williamson. Like, now take that for good or bad. I don't happen to mind it, to the truth. But that was definitely his time. That was when he was the he was the horror. John Hughes doing it big, you know what I mean? I know Alex is a big fan. <laughs> and uh he even had, you know, he even had that the uh yeah, what was it? Don't oh there, he did another sleep one that I enjoyed. It was kinda of, it was a creepy flick. But we're gonna ro- walk through. We're gonna walk through um this. Um, you know, Wes Craven, the man, the myth, the legend. You know, you take a movie like A Nightmare on Elm Street, which is <clears throat> anybody can get an emotional just talking about it. You talk to anybody of our age group that enjoys horror film, of course, but really cinema in, in, in any type, I would probably say that you would you would definitely have to be down with some Fred Krugs. You know what I mean? Nightmare on Elm Street would be in there somewhere. Even if you kind of hate it, you probably there's something in there you'll appreciate, I feel. Um, but the ma- that just the magnitude of that film is fucking gigantor in itself, you know. Wes had some other movies that weren't quite as known, you know. Like I said, I've, he's had some ups and downs for sure, which is kudos because some people, when they go down, they don't come back up, and Wes did it a few times, you know what I mean? And that's definitely uh, big props for that. Um, I remember very, really young. He passed away really young. I believe it was cancer. You know, I remember I was in the, I was in Brattle Theater, um, watching, uh, Aliens, 
part two with the S, you know what I mean? Plural. And I got a text inside the theater that Wes Craven passed away. And I remember, I remember uh, also that when I looked at my phone, somebody got very angry that I was looking at my phone in the theater. And I was like, boom, Wes Craven died. And then somebody goes, you got to be on your phone. And at that, Jertai was with us and Jertai mauled the person. Like a, like, a wild, like a wild animal. He had to go to jail for a couple of years over it, but that person. Oh, well, I mean, I can't think of a better way uh, to go to jail is fighting someone over, uh, having, having a phone on during, during a theater. I can understand that somewhat. I bet that person uh, never stepped foot in a theater again after that. Completely traumatized. So it's a tragedy. Yeah. You like to think there's learning lessons being dealt out, but. You probably just scared him away from the theater forever. That's horrible, you know? But the great Wes Craven, you know what I mean? Uh, for sure. Alex says for sure. And oh, uh, let's dip in. You know, the first, do you want to say anything about Wes before we pop in? Just start well, right, checking the gate on this badass motherfucker. Well, I got to say, the thing that um, is always interesting about Wes is that... Uh, I think I, I remember in one of our um, interviews or conversations that he went to college uh, for psychology. Yeah, I believe. yeah, he's a he's a yeah. teacher, I believe. Yeah, and uh, and the thing is, you can see that in all of his films, and and he likes to with his films play with people's expectations and and all that. I mean. Going with his uh, very first film that he did, Last House on the Left. Classic. Where, where you know, you have that brutal uh, brutal scene, and you have a very, uh, you know, um, happy-go-lucky music over it. I mean, it's one of the things that Matt and I have talked about plenty of times on our show, uh, where, you know, you're, you're listening to something that's more upbeat and cheerful, and then you're seeing a horrific scene in front of you, it it can you know kind of uh, mess with your brain slightly. Yeah, that's part of the, like the magic of that film. You know, you get the great yeah. the great Mark Scheffler. We're, we're blessed to have him on the Boombastic cast. You know what I mean? Um, but th- that music, we always like to talk about the music when that comes up. And David Hess, who was kind of like the star who played Mark's father in the film, he uh, he was a musician and he he created a lot of that music, which was cool. You know. David has passed away really young too. Rest in peace. He, um, I believe he came. I want to say I got a chance to meet him. It's, it's at like the very first years of rock and shock. I feel I could be wrong. I remember I used to talk to him on Facebook way back when, but or even maybe my space back then. Shame. I'd have to check my social needs. Um, yeah. Very cool. But Last House on the Left, yeah, I always like to say Last House on the Left is like, um, you know, when people say that there's really dangerous movies, you know, I think that term is thrown around a lot. Oh, the movie's dangerous. You know, what's dangerous? Like, how can a movie be dangerous? You know, there's two movies I can, I'm, I can probably put together a list. Maybe we'll do one up and do that one of these days, but definitely Clockwork Orange and and, and, and last time, it's always come to mind when things are dangerous flakes because like, the wrong person watches it too many times. It could be dangerous. Like if Alexander Hawk was to watch <laughs> Last House on the Left maybe like seven or eight times, 
and then maybe one in rewind mode. I think you'd have what it takes to go kill a whole school bus. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the thing is that when you watch some stuff, some stuff can, you know, really get into you, get under your skin. Last House on the Left is definitely one of those films that it's, it definitely is not a film you watch to feel good. It is a film that, you know, kind of, uh, it, I mean, I know this term gets thrown around quite a bit, but I think it really fits when it comes to Last House on the Left, which is artistic. And a lot of things is that people are like, you know, know, when when it comes to films, especially now, which uh, they focus mostly on, you know, the popcorn superhero movies and all that, which are fun. I mean, I, I was a big... Uh, superhero fan myself, but I, they don't try to push the envelope or try to do something interesting or different. Last in the house, last house on the left, while the subject matter is, is, is terrible, um, Wes, uh, Wes Craven did, did something really, uh, artistic with it, with, you know, playing with the visuals and the music. And the whole situation, mm-hmm. which, you know, is why we're still talking about it today. I have a hard time thinking of a lot of films that have come out in the last 10 years that we're going to be talking about, you know, 10 or 20 years from now. But Last House on the Left was done in 1972. We are now in 2023. Okay. And it has, you know, test this, uh, and the reason people still talk about is because as Matt said, it is a dangerous move. And there's a handful of films that fall into it. You can argue that these films, you know, uh, might be considered uh, promoting uh, stuff that uh, is horrendous. And a lot of people like to stand up and, and, uh, and criticize it for that. But when you're dealing with art, it's all about, what is trying to it's trying to elicit a response, and the last house on the left is that. That's that's why I put in that artistic realm because it does more than just you sit back, you watch it, and then you turn off and you forget about art. Lasts forever, mm-hmm. okay. And whether it's art that makes you feel good about yourself or art that makes you sick to your stomach. If you're still thinking about it, like decades later, it has done its job. And Last House on the Left is a perfect example of that. Yeah. No, I agree with you 110%. You know, it's definitely the psychology of that, you know, psychological horror, uh, you know, for days, you know, with the first couple of films that are really like in your face. It's, you know, he really kind of figured out situations that are terrifying um in more ways than just like getting knifed up or whatever you know what i mean um as we'll get into with some of the films but last house on the left is his first film um and just like wow what a punch like i could imagine you know like when we talk we talk like the dangerous film thing and you'll you'll hear about like riots people rioting in theaters and stuff like that you know what i mean <clears throat> and uh yeah, you can see it's like, like the, like the effect, you know, William 
Friedkin just passed away, rest in peace, recently. And you think of like the, the when The Exorcist was playing in theaters and people were fainting and throwing up and being, uh, you know, picketing. You know, back when picketing was like real, now it's more of like a PR campaign when people get picket their movies. You know what I mean? But marketing deal. But this is back when movies were really like upsetting people, which you know that's great art, man. You have people can really appreciate it, and you have people that are really riled up and like, what the fuck is going on here? When they see it, that's art, man. Whether they like to appreciate it or not, um, that's the deal, you know. And I think he was definitely the master, one of the one of the masters, uh, like the, the psychological master, war, war, Alex. You know what I mean? What? Love it. And the music is fantastic. The fact that the music's happy hippie music, when like some of some of the most brutal things I've ever seen on film are happening, you know, it's it's, it's effective, very effective for sure, definitely. So kudos, Mister Craven, for that one for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, heck yeah. Last house. Uh, he also directed something called The Fireworks Woman. Unfortunately, I did not see it. And his name—he yeah. he was credited as Abe Snake, so that must be <laughs> that must be a porno film or something. <laughs> kind of well, like that goes. I don't know. It was uh, 1975. Um, it could be porn because at the time, like you you'd get you can make you can get paid doing porn. You just want to put your name on it. Uh, you know. Well, I'm going to say that it might be just for. Just for this, and I haven't seen the film or seen the trailer. I'm only saying this because there's a guy named Jane Gillis who is, well, uncredited in the uh, credits as Orgy Guy with Celeste. So, uh, and there's there's a few Orgy girls. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking that Matt might be correct that this might have been uh, Wes's uh, porn career. Well, I know the great Larry Hankin would talk about how, like, he did some acting on some adult films, you know, because back in the day, there would be, it would be like legitimate actors, and then it'd be like a movie, and then the sex scenes would just be real, you know what I mean? But the more, in 1977, you know, after, you know, a big, another big wave hits, hits the fucking world of horror, Hills Have Eyes, with the great Michael Berryman, um, fantastic film, you know, this movie, is it, again he, he 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 dances all over your your nerves and your psychological horror bone. You know, you got a dude bringing his fam out into the desert for some you know fam time, doing it big, trying to have some good old times. You know what I mean? And uh, we probably should have done the plot of Last House if we're going to get into like the Hills of Eyes. Um, and long story short, they're camping. They're kind of abducted by these crazy hill people. Uh, they're like feral hillbilly, you know, plus, you know what I mean? They're, they're on the, they're on the move. And, um, the reboot for this actually was really good too. Alexander Aja did it. And uh, it was one of the reboots that I thought was actually fucking really good. But the subject matter is just like the core of psychological horror. It's a, you're bringing your family somewhere and now there's animals, wild animals. They might be human animals. Wow, they're wild animals, and you got to try and protect your fam from them, and that goes right down to the core of uh, I think every every man, every man. Yeah, of, I mean, I mean, it's it's the man, I, especially. Um, I think it goes down to the fact that uh, you know every, every every man is supposed to be a protector of his family, and 
And then when you find yourself in that situation where you have to protect them from these feral, crazy, you know, hill people that, uh, they just want to kill you. They want to, they want to strip you from your bones. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he'll have eyes. Now, uh, I freely admit I was not a huge fan of the Hills of Eyes, either the remake or any other like, like that. Um, but, you know, it, but again, going with what we said with The Last House on the Left, it, Wes Craven knew how to really give you that visceral gut reaction. Yeah. And, and, whether you like his films or not, you can't help. I mean, Hills Have Eyes, and you just, it's, it, the best way I can explain it is like a train wreck. Okay. Yeah. You know, you should turn away, but you can't. And that's what Hills Have Eyes is. Yeah. Where it, it's just like, you see the, these horrendous things happening. You know, you should turn away, but, you kind of also mesmerized at the same time. Yeah. And yeah, I, like I said, that's, that's how I felt it. Definitely with the first Hills Have Eyes. Not saying that, I, I mean, like I said, I wasn't a big fan, but I can respect it for what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it right from the get go. I was a fan. Um, I've seen it. I've probably seen it. The first West Craven movie I've probably ever seen. Probably Nightmare on Elm Street, to be fair. Um, and then I'd be honest with you, I probably, at that point, I jumped. Man, I'm trying to think here. I may have seen The Hills Have Eyes when I was younger. But the ones I remember is the generation of, like, People Under the Stairs was heavy. You know, like, I remember catching them when they came out type deal. Like, I seen, I know I, I seen Nightmare multiple times and the sequels. And, uh, but the, the, yeah, I remember being hit like my, my t- catching them new. I first started catching them new was probably around, you know, the mid, mid and early nineties is when I'd catch them new at the rental store. You know what I mean? But Hills of Eyes, I always thought was, I think I seen that one a little later. Um, but that one, even, even being older seeing that, I was like, wow, that was really something. Cause I, I wasn't even, you know, you'd, you'd assume, you know, a te- when a teenage boy can relate and get fur, get furful of the situation of the dude trying to protect his family and a ding dong. That's good. That's good filmmaking. That's good stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I always liked Hills. It's raw. It's like raw horror. I think it's like, you know, it's almost like the, 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 the core. It's just like pure. It's like pure. Instinct, you know, it's, it's primal. It's primal. primal. Yeah, it's primal. Yeah, I mean that's the best. I mean that's the best way. Yeah. It you it it brings up your primal instincts to protect those you love, to run, to fight. Mm-hmm. I mean that's I mean, again, like I said, uh, Hills of Eyes definitely elicits those responses. Yeah, and uh, I mean I can't even think of any. Films again going the last ten years or so that really elicit that kind of guttural primal instinct of you are fighting for your life, but you're also fighting for your family's life. Yeah, against against these, 
And what makes it even scarier is that, yeah, you got, uh, you got, uh, all these, you got Jason, you got Freddy, you got Michael. All these guys are, you know, like fantasy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but these, these people, I mean, they're, you can believe that you can run into these people, that these people can actually exist. Because, they because do. I mean, they the, these people have existed, and and that makes it even scarier. Yeah. I mean, even scarier than uh, those make-believe serial killers in some other films, because we've all seen people that you know are kind that that just come off as not even human, but more as as Matt said animal feral yeah and and uh and when you're dealing with pretty much a human animal and a a human that is more beast than man that's always more terrifying because you got the strength of a man but the inhibitions of an animal right now you got it you hit the nail right on the head so there yeah. you know all right next up he did a little TV movie, I think, called Summer of Fear, which I never, I never got into. Did you ever see Summer of Fear, Alex? I've, I've never seen it, uh, but it does star. I mean, going back uh, uh, with uh, talking about uh, Friedkin, uh, it did star Linda Blair right, yeah. uh, from, of course, The Exorcist. Um, also, you had Friend Drescher in it, and. Uh, a few other, right? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. A few, a few, few other people. Um, Good but I mean, the the premise on this is a teenage girl's life is turned upside down after her cousin moves into her house, and as time goes by, she begins to suspect that she may be a, practi- a practitioner of witchcraft. Um, that, if I remember correctly, during this, hmm. Uh, well, from my memory during this time in the 80s, yeah. I think it was the 80s, right? I yeah, one in, early age, uh, 81. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, witchcraft movies, you know, dealing with witches and all that, uh, was kind of a, um, kind of, you know, actually 1978. So it was, was just getting into the 80s. So, um okay. I remember watching a lot of films around that time that dealt with witchcraft, especially dealing with young women and all that. I think it was um, at that time where they they used witchcraft as kind of a way to toy with the idea of uh, female-on-female love and infatuation. Yeah. Uh, I, that was the underlying theme for a lot of films during, uh, in this case, late seventies and uh, early eighties, going into even the nineties, where you'd have uh, a lot of films dealing with young women uh, who were, you know, supposedly witches or dealing with witchcraft, but toying with, you know, the underlying sexual uh, feelings between, you know, young girls among themselves. Uh, I mean, I think The Craft is the best example of that. Yeah. Which, of course, I think The Craft was in the 90s, but, you know, it, it definitely started around that time. 
and, you know, has always been, you know, kind of there, toying with, toying with something that was going on, but no one really wanted to talk about it at the time. Oh, Witchcraft kind of became the um, code word for uh, lesbianism at the time. I, I also think that, like, the church, you know, would, would assume that, you know, they look down on sex, you know, so, you know... Uh, the, 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 it's funny. The church, look, uh, quote, quote, looked down on everyone for doing, you know, what is considered a sin or going against the Ten Commandments. But then at the same time, you're looking at those in charge. They're doing, you know, even worse things. But they're like, oh, but I went, went and confessed. So God resolved me of my sins. So I just do it again. And then I confess. And then I'm resolved of my sins. Yeah. You know that all too well, dude. Yeah, I never confessed a single one of my sins. I own them. Yeah, no, good guy, good guy. You know, it's, uh, you know. Hey, when, when I'm, 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 when I die, God and I will have to go through, if I die early, like right around now, be only 42 years of sins. But, you know, whenever I die, we'll have to go through the whole list. Because I'm sure I've, I've racked up an, a, a substantial list by now. Dress warm, Alex. It's a you, long you, list. You're gonna have to go through a long list. You can go through seasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to get cold out there. Where you don't have to worry about getting cold. You know what they say? Uh, but yeah, you know, I think that yeah, it's like the witch trials. You know, those witch trials back in the day. We, you know, it's we talk on the show. We call got a show called the Mostly Ghostly on the network too. They talk a lot about bank the witch trials and how. You know, if I wanted some land that Alex had, and I, or you know, all I gotta do is go. That mo, I think he's a male witch. He's warlocking. He's pop warlocking over there. Pop locking, doing it big. And then- I do have, I do have to say, since we are going on on the witch trials, Joe. I do have to say now. Ba- back in the days of school, I I watched and also read the play The Crucible. I oh mean, yeah, I'm sure everyone's. Heard of it, knows the story, dealing with the Salem Witch Trials. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a character, I forget the char- character's name, but he's based on a real guy, mm-hmm. okay, who honestly is the only person I can think of that beat the system. Do you know that guy? Who beat the Chuck Norris? No, no, no. no, no. See, there, there's... Uh, I remember there was this one guy where they they laid him down and they put stone after stone on him uh, to slowly yeah. crush him to death. And they wanted him to say whether he was a witch or he wasn't a witch. And up till his dying breath, he did not say either. He did not confess that he was a witch. He did not deny he was a witch. And by doing that, he was one of the, I think he was the only one who his family kept his land. Because okay. the thing is that if, if he confessed, they could easily just take that away. Okay. But if he didn't confess, then of course they go through the same thing and still take the land away. Okay. But because, because he would not say that he was or wasn't. They could not use either or to steal the land away. So, 
his family was able to keep the land. He unfortunately did perish because they did keep on adding stones till he was crushed to death. But um, his family, from what I I remember, actually was able to keep the land. That reminds me of the Aaron Hernandez case from a few years back. The Patriot football player hung himself up so the family could keep their land. You know what I mean? Speculation, of course. Um, But, yeah, you know, next up we have Deadly Blessing, of course. Deadly Blessing, you would almost consider this to be like a sleeper horror. Like, it's not quite as big as some of his other successes, but it's not, not as bad. It's, um, I believe it's an Amish, uh, Ernest Borgnine, our boy. We used to party with Ernest back in the day. Uh, he's in this, and it, I, the, the actress escapes me at this moment, but she was known, the lead actress was known for it, and she's kind of like in this Amish community, and uh, her husband dies, and now they see, uh, there's like, a, it's like a culty vibe. It's like a, I've got it. This is something that I, I had this one for a while on VHS, but this was recently, there was a couple that, that Shout Factory recently redid with some nice slipcover Blu-rays that are probably all out of print right now. Uh, yeah. But this was one of them. And I believe I picked up one of the Blu-rays, I believe, but I do have the V. I, I, I can't be, it's either this VHS. I have the one for Deadly Blessing or I have one for another one of the weird obscure ones that later got re-released, but. I'd have to take a double peek. I'd have to be a professional and know what I'm talking about. I wouldn't want to do that, you know. <laughs> well, but. I mean, I mean, um, definitely one of the. Uh, I mean, also with Ernest Borgnine, you had Sharon Stone in it. Hell yeah! And of course, I mean, uh, we we all love Sharon Stone. Of course, and, uh, yeah, and also you had Michael Berryman. He came back, came with Wes on onto this. So that that uh, that's always it's always great seeing, especially uh, for example, like Sharon Stone, seeing her in a a older film that uh, you might not know of, and also seeing a young Sharon Stone. You gotta love that. You, you, you can't you can't you can't beat that. It's just good to, to not see her given Joe Pesci head. You know what I mean? That's all I gotta say. In Casino, you know what I mean. <laughs> Oh, come on. I, be- I believe Joe Pesci gets head twice in Casino. That's a lot of head. I believe he gets some from her, and then he gets one, and when he brings a girl, he, he he finishes a meal and then goes out to the car to get head, I think. Well, hey, at least someone's getting some, some, some fun. Someone's, go- someone's got to get ahead in life, huh? Yeah. The, um, I believe they're both in Casino, but I could be wrong. James Woods is in, it, it plays the pimp in Casino. Fucking masterful. I love James Woods. Great guest for the BBC in the future. That'd be cool. He lives in Rhode Island, supposedly, too. We'll have to go to his house and say, Jimmy! Jimmy! Heck yeah. All right. Um, next is actually one of my personal favorites. Classic. Uh, Wes Craven, which might, I mean, people know of it, but uh, might not be on most people's radar, which is Swamp Thing. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Well, this is this gets people caught up sometimes when you go. Wes Craven did a comic book movie. What the what, dude? And it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's a good trivia question out there for people. What comic book movie was directed by the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street? And people go, huh, huh? Uh, 
the Freddy Krueger comic book movie, bro. Machine and Freddy Krueger. I think it was five. Yeah, man, Krueger. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, in this movie, you got the great Louis uh, Jordan. You got Adrian Balboa, and the right. great Ray Wise, which I had the pleasure of meeting at. Uh, I think it was uh, Rock and Shock a few years ago. And I met the great Adrian Barbo, so we done, we done, got a done dig deep in there. I, I, I wish, I wish Wes came. I don't think Wes ever came around. I would have paid top dollar for that autograph. Yeah. But, uh, Adrian was there. I have a picture with Adrian Barbo and Ashley Lawrence. Uh, happy birthday, Ashley Lawrence. That just happened yesterday, I think. Um, but yeah, I got a dub pick with both of them, which was very cool. Adrian Barbo, super cool. Um, you know, this was this was a, a comic book film that was made before Sam Raimi reinvented comic book movies. You know what I mean? So it kind of has that standard vibe to it, but it's very fun. Uh, Swamp Things always had a special place in my heart. I'm, I'm dipping back into the comics now. We're doing a, a the film's kind of based in a swamp a little bit, so I've been dipping back into that for some Swamp Thing influence. But even the cartoon was incredible. I was always a huge fan of the TV series, you know what I mean? Sadly, I I know that everybody loves it, but I haven't checked into the Derek Mears stuff yet, but fully. But I do want to, because, and I assume it's going to be fantastic. I just haven't had the time to fully devote to it. But, yeah, dude, I was even surprised. Like, I remember seeing Swamp Thing and not catching the, like, as a kid and not catching, either not even realizing or just not catching that Wes Craven directed it. Yeah. Actually, I gotta say one thing I loved about this movie. Yeah. Which, which I, uh, I mean, was kind of also, um, I would say reused in the first Captain America movie. Uh-huh. Okay. Was in, in Swamp Thing, uh, I forget, uh, the, the villain of the piece. Okay. Yeah. He's, He's toying with these uh, chemicals to uh, to make uh, like a superhuman or you know get strength. I, I forget the exact you know reasoning behind why he's doing all of this you know stuff. And because of an incident with him and the hero, the hero is you know injected with this thing and is thrown into the swamp and then becomes Swamp Thing. Okay. Now, uh, near the end of the movie, the villain injects this other guy with the same serum. Of course, he's expecting to get another Swamp Thing, another big, hulking, you know, monster to fight the Swamp Thing. And what happens is this guy turns into a meek little dwarf. Now, the reason was because what he found out is the chemical emphasizes what you are on the inside, not what you are on the outside. So, the character, even though it was a bigger guy, was turned into a, 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 a small, meek little, you know, you know, dwarf uh, creature that, that couldn't really do much. Yeah. So when the villain injects him, he himself becomes, you know, a, a, a big hulking, you know, uh, uh, you know, dangerous creature because that's what he is on the inside. And yeah. that's why Swamp Thing 
when he became Swamp Thing, while he is a big, powerful creature, he also has a very soft, tender nature. Yeah. I mean, he was all about vengeance against the bad guys, but with Adrian Balboa, he was... It's kind of like the Beauty and the Beast kind of uh, relationship. And um, I always enjoyed it. I mean, I haven't watched it in a long time, but uh, I remember watching it early on, and I think it was shortly after the movie came out. And I'm talking about a few years after they did a Swamp Thing TV series. I, I think that. it only lasted like a year or two. Two, I think it got I, two seasons, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, it didn't really mess with the audience. I mean, it's one of those <laughs> things. Hmm? Same guy who did the movie, I believe, did. I would say Dick Warlock, but I could be wrong. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, I remember watching the series, really being, uh, being, uh, finding it cool and, but, Again, didn't last long and unfortunately, you know, went off the air. But I have to say, I always enjoyed Swamp Thing and I really enjoyed Wes Craven's way of dealing with it where, you know, it, it, again, it's more of the uh, sociology. I mean, anyone could go with, oh, you inject this and you become a hulking creature, but dealing with the, awesome, dealing with the idea that you know, this thing just emphasizes what you are as a person, not what you are on, on the outside. I always thought it was a really cool thing, which, of course, goes on with the first Captain America movie where you have Steve Rogers talking to the scientist who says, you know, great, be- uh, good becomes great, you know, with, with the serum. So, you know, yeah. if you're evil on the uh, inside, you show the evil on the outside. That's why the Red Skull is a skull. And why, you know, Steve Rogers comes from a frail-looking, you know, thin guy to a hulking superhero, which, you know, we know is Captain America. Yeah. But I always loved that idea that, that you know, you, you take something and it just emphasizes what's on the inside and puts it out for everybody to see. Yeah. Yeah, Dick Durock was the dude's name. And, you know, thinking about it, I can't think of an adaptation of Swamp Thing that I've seen that I didn't enjoy. Um, And that's probably, if I, you know, I'm not a big comic book fan. I do those ones I appreciate. That Swamp Thing would definitely be one. That'd be one I would, I would, I would take, I'd like to take a shot at that. I wouldn't want to do a big one, but Swamp Thing would be fun. And it's so cool, you know. I'm, I, the the show, the fact the show died out was a bummer because he like I I know I'm a hypocrite, so I never fucking watched it. But it looked really good, and I it, it it's one of those things that you assume would be what you'll be around when you ke- have time to catch up with it type deal. You know, I'm sure everybody's got plenty of things like that, shows like that that they go, oh, like Roseanne, dude. Like I love Roseanne and that second batch. Like, I wasn't hip to them when they first started up, and then by the time I even thought about getting hip to it, she was fucking dead on the show, and it was a whole different show that I hear isn't really worth watching. So I missed the boat on that, and I don't even know where you can see them. I don't even know where you can see the old episodes, maybe on the old uh, Peacock or something. Yeah. But, yeah, Swamp Thing's classic, classic stuff. Wes had, you know, it's not the super cameras like when Sam Raimi brought to the game and changed everything up, but it's kind of more of a, it's kind of like if Kevin Smith made 
Swamp Thing, you know what I mean? Kind of has that vibe to it a little bit. But very cool. David Hess from Last House on the left. You know, he comes back. He's in it. And, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Swamp Thing's definitely, like I said, I can't, I can't get angry with Swamp Thing. And they need to re-release the cartoon immediately. Uh, I don't think you can get your hands on that anymore. But next up, Invitation to Hell, another television movie that I didn't catch up with. Um, if it, back in the day, man, I go, I was like, uh, I'm the horror type of horror fan that if it said TV movie up on it, I'd buy it, but I wouldn't like watch it. Like I like to have it in the archives, but it'd have, it'd have to be a really good TV horror movie for me to tap, tap in. Uh, so Invitation to Hell is not something uh, that drew me in. I hate to say that on a, a tribute to Wes because I love him to death. We love Wes so much. We dedicated Insomniac. Our short film is dedicated to Wes. So much, much love, much love. But yeah, Invitation to Hell. We can dedicate a movie, but I can't watch Invitation to Hell, unfortunately. You know what I mean? Actually, I shouldn't get too hard on Invitation to Hell. Have you seen it? Um, I have not seen it. Um, uh, just uh, checking it out. Uh, the the uh, the tagline for it is a family moves to a suburban town only to be coerced into joining a suspicious club. Which again, going with what I said earlier with like witches, uh, you know, um, more of a satanic cult. satanic cults and clubs, yeah. uh, you know, eerily eerie clubs was kind of like the bread and butter for like horror movies and horror TV series yeah. during this time. Probably probably because, you know, again, it goes with what we said with uh, Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can believe that you're in a elite suburban town and, you know, someone invites you to this cool club that only the elite, you know, uh, go to. And then as soon as you get into it, they're like, well, now you're part of the club. Now we have to kill your firstborn child and eat his bones. That's that how you become no part of the club. And that ain't no fun, damn it. You know, yeah. Deadly Blessings also has that culty vibe. You know, whenever you're thinking psychological horror, you got to think cults. And this is from a time, this is probably around the times, you know, you know, Manson was very fucking big time still at this, even though it's been almost 10 years since the Manson thing, I think, at this point. No, not even. This is within the t- first 10 years. So even they're making Manson related shit now. So like very uh, culty, you know what I mean? And uh, when when Koresh, your boy Koresh, Waco was what, early yeah. 90s, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I so. haven't got a Koresh Christmas card since the early 90s. So I don't know. Aww. I don't know when he went out officially. Yeah. And also in this, you know, rogues gallery of, of, of actors, Mainly, of course, uh, TV, mm-hmm. uh, most notably Robert Urich, oh, and yeah. also uh, Soli Moon Fry, best known as Punky Booster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I get down uh, with her. I uh, yeah, to, I mean. Yeah. I used to date her back in the day for a little bit. I don't want to talk about well, well, it depends which day we're talking about, man. you you gotta be careful with that, man. No, when well, she's older than me, so it's okay. I just remember. Oh, that. she is. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. Whenever I think of her, I just think of Punky Booster, and she's always that what, like ten, eleven year old girl. So you know, it's... don't ever, don't ever say, don't ever say anything terrible about someone who has to have breast reduction, Alex. That's pretty fucked up. 
That's pretty fucked up of you. She had, she had. Hey, hey, hey! I need another back reduction. She was huh? well. Maybe we'll put you in line. We'll put you on the Punky Brewster fucking plan. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, that's when you sit in a refrigerator in, in a yard and sweat it off, sweat the fucking tits out of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, much yeah. love to Punky Brewster. Much love. Next time, I don't want to get too hard on the last film because I know that I'm going to have to get hard on this one, which is The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, which I I was very excited to check this movie out. And I don't think Wes was a drug guy, at least not like, not like when you, like, you. I watched Part 2 and I almost, it, it has the vibe of a dude that's lost his mind, like lost control on drugs. You know what I mean? Um it just, it's like weird. It's like, it's almost like cheaply thrown together. And it's like, it's like, it's almost like if somebody said, okay, you don't have, you don't, you're not as good as Wes Craven, but go fucking make this move. Go copy what he tried, what he did with the first one. And then after he pulls off the mask, goes, fuck it, Wes Craven, dude. You know what I mean? Uh, and I don't know. Well, like, well I'm, weird. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, first of all, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, this came out right before Nightmare on Elm Street, okay? And Correct. I don't know, I, I don't know, uh, uh, Wes, but Wes might have just thought, you know, he did Hills of Eyes, it was great and all that, and then, you know, they're pushing for a sequel. And he might not have wanted to do that. He might have had Nightmare on Elm Street on his brain. He was like, I want to do that. And they're like, hey, man. You can't do that until you do a sequel to this other thing that's very popular. But it's like, man, I want to leave that alone. I already did it. It was fine. It's a standalone. I don't need to do another one. And like, dude, man, you want to do this? We've got to have Hills of Eyes too before you can have this. And that's the impression I get Maybe. from that movie is, is that it's, it's an obligation. It's an obligation movie. That's that's how that movie felt. What it feels like, they both came out in 84. What it feels like to me is that the, the Hills Have Eyes was made. I know this probably isn't reality, but Hills Have Eyes was actually made and put on a shelf somewhere because it was so bad. And then when Nightmare on Elm Street started going booyakasha, they were like, all right, we're going to put this out now. Well, I mean, I don't the know thing... Yeah, I mean, it's so I bad, mean, dude. Nightmare on Elm Street, even as a horror film, even even as a film, dude. Nightmare on Elm Street is, you know, take even the like even quality of film, you know, is so much fucking better than Part Two. It's crazy. It's like it's like they gave him like it's it's not even like Wes Craven directed it. For to be honest with you, and um, like the it's night and day. If you look, if you look at like The Hills of Eyes Part Two. And right next to Nightmare on Elm Street, it's like, it's such a, it's league. I know we're not comparing, but even just like the, with the, the way it's shot is just like, like it's, it's leagues away from it. And, um, I don't know. Maybe the budget was absolutely nothing. That's probably what it was. It looks. Yeah. Like- I'm, I mean, I mean, like I said, I, I honestly believe that it was. Which one do, do Nightmare and people were like, uh, I don't know. We'll let you do Nightmare if you do, you know, Hills of Eyes too. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, both of them came out the same year, so maybe they were also done at the same time. 
And the thing is, the reason Nightmare on Elm Street is so much better is West was this is my baby, and you know Hills Advice Two was you know he spent all his time on that. Then he ran over to the set like, okay, um, you do this, you do that. Okay, shot, shot, shot. We're done. Okay, let's move on. I feel like and I read, I read, I read the Nightmare on Elm Street made. A, I almost feel like maybe it was something he he just needed money. And they were like, they, they paid him to do it and he ran and didn't care about it or something. I don't know officially. I read the, I read Never Sleep Again, which was a really cool nightmare in Elm Street book. Um, and I want to say that it did touch a little bit about that time, you know, that went into some of the other films, but it's, it's, that was a, that's a weird one. And I, to be honest with you, and I hate to even say because it's a Wes Craven thing and I love him, but. I want to say, like, I don't even think I finished fucking part two. Like, I don't think I made it through the whole watch. I want to say I clipped it. Like, I, I, I cut it off, dude. Um, but much love to Wes Craven, of course. Um, next up on the docket, my friend. You know it. You love it. You can't fucking live without it. Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street. Starring Robert Englund, Heather Langenkamp, the early young Johnny Depp, my goodness. Dude, Nightmare on Elm Street, fucking quite possibly one of the biggest horror movies of all time. It's in a caliber, it's in a fucking caliber with Frankenstein, with Dracula, you know what I mean? Um, you know, caliber, the caliber of, of horror villain, dude. You know, he's definitely, you know, you had all the Dracules and the Frankensteins. And, you know, Wolfman and stuff like that. That was like the golden universal monsters, like the golden. And then I'd get, yeah. have to go into the next and be the next ordeal would be that would be your well, Jason's. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if we were taking the classic, um, uh, monster movies and we're taking, you know, the, uh, the uh you know eighties classic monsters. Yep. And you can argue that uh uh Michael and Jason are more of the Frankensteins. Well with yep. Freddy Freddy was Dracula. Okay, Freddy was the Dracula of the time. I agree. And of course you can say, well I mean Dracula's uh suave, sexy and all that. And Freddy you know, is, 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 is all burned up he, and, and all that. He's, he's not quite suave or anything like that. So how can you make that comparison? Mm-hmm. Well, the fact is, first of all, the person who played Dracula was Bela Lugosi. Okay. And he owned that role and he gave it such gravitas by him inhabiting that role that there's been a lot of people playing Dracula since. And the fact is, Bela Lugosi only played Dracula twice. Yeah. I know it's hard to believe, but he only played Dracula twice. Right. One in the Dracula movie and one in Africa, Selmy's Frankenstein. He didn't play Dracula ever again. He played vampires, he played other mad scientists, but he's only played Dracula twice. And, and he's still, to this day, everyone who plays Dracula will always be compared to Bela Lugosi because he's right. kind of considered the golden sack. Now, yeah. with with Freddy, with Robert England playing Freddy, 
I mean, he has a lot more, you know, movies and, and renditions of that character on his belt than Bela Lugosi has. Mm-hmm. But he owned that role. That he will always be remembered for that role. And when they try to replace him once, okay, people couldn't stand it. People just, you know, I mean, I saw the remake. I thought it was, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I mean, I was also open to the possibility it might be good. It really didn't stick with me, but again, it still stuck with the fact that it was not Robert England playing Freddy. Yeah. I mean, you can, I can look over the, the makeup effects and everything else, but Freddy, the way he, he just played it. And, and again, actually, he had a lot of sex appeal. He was a sexy son of a bitch. Right, Kruglis with that burnt skin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew how to own it and how to play with everything. He was the one that was enticing and bringing you into his own little deranged world. And, uh, I'm, that, Bell Lugosi's Dracula had the same kind of you know, effect. He, he just brought you into the character, and and Robert England did too. And Wes uh, uh, Wes Craven's, you know, uh, film story is great to begin with. But if if he didn't uh, didn't pick uh, Robert England to play Freddy Krueger, it'd be interesting to see if it lasts as long because Freddy. Uh, Freddie and uh, Robert, they became one, and and it worked. I wish there was somewhere people could go to get a story about what it would have been like if they didn't want to use Robert England. Wait a second, in the Jack shoulder, with the, a shoulder to scream on interview, you can hear all about that on the Boom cast A shoulder to scream on interview with Jack Shoulder. Okay. And I blow kiss, and I blow kiss. But I'm with you. No, I'm definitely with you for sure. Nightmare on Elm Street, just the magnitude of what it, what that is, quite possibly the biggest horror movie of our time. You know what I mean? And I put that even over Freddy and Jason and stuff. Uh, fucking not Freddy, because it's Freddy, but Jason and like Michael Myers. Jason would probably have to be the second and probably most popular. And then you got like maybe Leatherface and Michael Myers, I think would be in this third category. And then you got like Pinhead and maybe, I don't know where you'd put Chucky. Chucky's gotten pretty popular. Pennywise, you would almost have to, he's gotten so fucking big with, with the reboot, uh, that he, you can't forget Ghostface. Ghostface, you would have to put in there because he's still going strong, but. Pennywise, you would almost have to put into a category of like a leading because he's gotten so much fucking bigger with that reboot. You know what I mean? If we're talking about popularity, like a lot of people know who, like before that movie, like I think huge, huge, huge. You know, I know what's funny is a lot of people would think Art the Clown is probably Pennywise. A lot of the older, <laughs> a lot of the older people go, yeah, I've seen that fucking Pennywise. Oh, it's really Art the Clown. But that's the burden, I guess, of making a you know a newer clown movie because you didn't get tagged in. They're gonna assume the other. But with that being said, we next it after a nightmare on Elm Street. My friend Alexander the Hawk, we roll into Chiller. I'll put up Chiller. I've actually seen Chiller. Uh, I have, oh, I I, yeah, I have the VHS of this somewhere. 
And, uh, it's not like, it's, it's a slow pace. It's kind of like a TV movie type vibe to it. Um, there's not really much to say it. It's kind of like along the vibes of like, uh, like when George Romero did like Bruiser, which I'm not shitting on Bruiser. I appreciate, appreciate it, but it was kind of at the level of that. I'd say, you know what I mean? Have you seen that? I have not seen it. I mean, I've uh, checked out the IMDb and all that. Yeah. Um, I do like, uh, the, the tagline on it is, uh, you know, the, uh, uh corporate executive, uh, Miles traits and dies and cryogenically frozen in the hopes that he can be revived. Ten years later, the procedure is a success and Miles returns without his soul. No. Yeah, that's bogus. You don't want to return without your soul, yeah. man. But actually, you know, it's that idea is, first of all, a great, great idea for uh, Wes Craven to play with. Because, as we said before, Wes always loves to play with different ideas and psychological and all that. Sure. I mean, I know even to this day, I mean, uh, people have talked about Oh, the the realities of cryogenically freezing somebody who has an illness and then waiting to say 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 years um, until that person uh, until they find a cure for the disease and then revive him, cure him from the disease and then he can live out the rest of his, his life. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting idea thinking okay, doing that and they come back without their soul. They lose a bit of themselves in the process. I think that's an interesting uh, idea. And definitely an idea that definitely uh, Wes Craven would have a lot of fun with. Yeah. I, um, like I said, I get down. You know, chillers, I have it. We can watch it next time you're down this way if you want. Yeah. And also has uh, good old Paul Savino <laughs> in it. Yep. Love good old Paul. Paul's a good guy. Paul's a good guy. He'd be a great guest for the Boombastic cast. You know what I mean? Next up, Deadly Friend. Deadly Friend is the other film that I believe Deadly Friend is the one that I actually own on VHS. Um, but this was also re-released by Shout Factory. It also has kind of a culty vibe to it, if I remember correctly. Um, robots and abuse, you know, after a friend is killed by her abusive father, the new kid in town attempts to save her by implanting a robotic microchip into her brain. You know, how else would you save somebody but to put a fucking robotic microchip in their brain? You know what I mean? Um, I might have to watch this. Maybe I'm, I haven't seen this. I thought I did. I had a different plot in my mind than this. So, yeah, I don't think I own this one on Blu-ray. Um, but I do own it on the VHS or I have to crack into it. Have you yeah. seen it? No, no, I haven't seen it, but I'm, for those Goonie fans out there, the beautiful <laughs> and talented Anne Ramsey is in this. With my ex, yeah. Yeah, and uh, also a uh, good, good friend, uh, Charles Fleischer. Oh, yeah, uh, good man. Is, is, is in it. Uh, I, I gotta say, I got, I, I always love Charles. I think, uh, he's definitely an under, underutilized actor. He, I mean, come on. No one can be a, 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 uh, a, a full grown rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit like him. He's the best. You know what I mean? He's a good dude. Um, for sure. For sure. For sure. 
Uh, and that's how we like to do it in the hood. You know what I mean? There's a lot of cool folks with that flag. But Deadly Friend, I'm going to have to do a rewatch. My girl Ann Ramsey, she don't play around. You know what I mean? And uh, that's all I got to say about that. You've never seen that one, Hawkman? No, no, sorry. No worries, no worries. Um, so we're going to pop into some stuff. You know, Serpent in the Rainbow, 1988 Serpent in the Rainbow. I feel like this is when he hit a set another, like, he got into another, like, high point. Um, Bill Pullman, not typically a fan of Tell You the Truth, but I, re- I, 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 I like this when it, it taps into voodoo, which I always find, you know, scary. There's like some imagery of him in a coffin when it fills up with blood that I remember as a kid seeing that being like, whoa, that's how that, like, the serpent, and I kind of grew up in the, in the church a little bit. So like the, we, that we, you know, you know, when you're going against God, that kind of like, uh, would scare me in a different type of way. You know what I mean? And all that voodoo stuff is definitely that much, that black magic stuff. And it's very creepy stuff. You know, it, it ties in with like one of my favorite. There's so many favorite episodes, but I automatically, whenever I think of voodoo, I automatically think of the Tales from the Crypt episode. Which I believe has your boy in it from Pet Cemetery Two, and John dies at the end. I'm trying to think of him. He's still killing it to this day, man. Oh, Clarence. Clarence. First name Clarence, I believe. You see Pet Cemetery Two? He's the father zombie. Uh, I haven't seen Pet Pet Cemetery Two in such a long time. I don't. I'd have to go. go Anybody out there is listening. If you scream loud enough, we'll be able to. (laughs) Um, yeah, he's beloved, dude. He's been. He's in Shawshank. He plays the. Okay, okay. I know who you're talking about. I just blanked on his name for some reason. Dude's fucking hardcore. I believe Clarence. It's Clarence. Something. He's a hard name. He's hard. His name's hard as nails. If I remember. Yeah, and also I have to say, uh, the guy we're talking best. The best Lex Luthor ever. By the ego in the animated. Yeah, in the animated series, man, he he voiced Lex Luthor. He was friggin' awesome. Clancy Brown, dude. Clancy, Clancy Brown. Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. What, hmm? what did I say? Uh, you said Clarence. Oh, yeah, Clancy Clarence. That's yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> don't be yeah. upset if you listen. I love to get him on the show. He's he's been killing it forever, dude. Uh, super talented guy. Oh, Clarence Brown is is one of the the best characters that uh, character actors out there. Very talented, and you know, I remember seeing an interview with him uh, about Shawshank. Yeah, where you know, uh, he. Uh, a, a fan came up to him mm-hmm. and said that, oh, I uh, loved you in Shawshank and made a comment to him that uh, she still felt that even though he was a son of a bitch, that there yeah. was like something good or redeeming about him. And Clarence said, you know, he said, I didn't tell her this, but I, I got to say now, there's nothing redeeming <laughs> about my character. I, I There's nothing. I, 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 you... You have to make shit up <laughs> yeah. for this guy to be redeemable because he says, I play them as unredeemable as possible. Some girls like that, though. Yeah. Well, I think I think the thing is that a lot of times 
fans of like specific actors, e- even when they play horrendous people, can't split the character and the actor. Yeah. So, so he probably really loves Cl- uh, Clancy Brown as a person and seeing him in interviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, see, because he's such a great guy, thinking that, you know, there must have been some kind of, you know, redeemable aspect to the character he played. But uh, okay. sometimes uh, a villain is just a villain. True. Next up, 1989, speaking of villains, Horace Pinker. One of the most, uh, one of the most, there's so, such a villain they had to electrocute him in a movie. You know what I mean? That'd kill him off, death sentence style. You know, this could be a great, uh, this is kind of a campy horror, I felt. Be a good double feature with Ernest Ghost Jail, kinda. Um, I appreciated it. I appreciate it a little more now. I remember as a kid, it didn't really hit where I was hoping it was gonna hit. It had a few moments, but I kinda like it a little bit more now. You know what I mean? Um, What's his name? Uh, the director now, the other star, the other actor in it is a director now. He did like Battleship and, uh, the, he was in the Great White Hype. Peter, Ber- Eric Berg, Peter Berg, Peter Berg. And, um, it's a fun movie now. Like I said, the momentum, like the momentum of it's very weird. Shocker is a very weird. It's like they were hoping to catch the magic of a Freddy Krueger type character, but not be Freddy Krueger, but like the closest thing to him. But you know what I mean? We're electrocuting. Well, We're not burning them this time. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but I mean, it, honestly, I mean, going with that, I mean, with the fact that you got, uh, you know, Freddy Krueger ghosts and attacks people through, you know, uh, their mm-hmm. dreams, this guy, you know, can jump through like TVs and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and, and all of that. So it's another, another, villain that's able to get you, you know, when you least expect it. I wonder if it, I wonder in the board meeting if it was like what you know, these spirit spirits are energy. So what if he's like in the energy and they go, Oh, we'll try and fit we'll try and make that work and then he became electricity and you know, it, it's very it's it has the vibe of trying to dig up an old formula, use it all for new tricks type deals. Well, I mean, I mean, the fact is that, uh, you know, that, that's usually a case when you have, I mean, you have a director like Wes Craven that is known for such an iconic series like Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And every, I mean, here's the, here's the problem that when you do something successful like that, mm. everyone's like, oh my God, this is just great. But I was not part of that. I did not get the money from it. So mm-hmm. this, this, this take the guy who created it. He, he can, he can create something similar to it that will be as big. And yeah. then, you know, of course, when you try to retread what you've already done, it doesn't work. I mean, in this case, I mean, Chakra is a fun B horror movie, but it's definitely not on the same level as Nightmare. For sure. You know, he did a, he did a small little film called Night Visions. Which I don't know, dude. I, I I could have it on VHS, but I don't think I've ever watched it. I was, dude. If I seen something, I'd watch it and get it for later, and later never came for a lot of movies. You know what I mean? But I think that might be one of them. But next yeah. up is the people under the stairs. Which oh, uh, of, before we before we jump to people under the stairs, yeah. I just I got it. I got it. I got to do one thing. Do it. Okay. Shocker has 
one of my all-time favorite actors, yeah. which I believe does not get enough love and recognition, yeah. Mr. Theodore Ramey, oh. brother of a good friend of ours, Mrs. Sam Ramey. Sam, you okay. And uh, I mean, it doesn't have a huge part in it, but again, there's I, I just want to give a shout-out. He was in Shocker, and we can move on. Okay. <laughs> appreciation, appreciation. People under the stairs, which um, we are, you know, you know why people under the stairs is we like that for multiple reasons. But uh, we had one of the people on our show is what I was going for. But before that, I want to say that the people under stairs was all has always been a Wes Craven movie that I appreciated. It's a very Hollywoodized Wes Craven. I think that this kind of era was like Wes really kind of doing really like the Hollywood type vibe which I'm not hating because he did great within the system. Some people can't work within the system, and he he was still making good movies within it. Um, You know, our boy Jeremy Roberts, of course, was in People Under the Stairs. But I just think it's such a crazy little... And I love, like... Like, I remember the people on... The actual People Under the Stairs, those kids were super creepy. You know, as a kid, seeing them, like, the family... You know, the mother is, like... The mother's almost like the fucking sister from Pet Cemetery for crying out loud. <laughs> um, in no way except just intensity. Um, and the father, who was also in like Silver Bullet, his name escapes me now, he'd play, he'd be fucking, if they ever made a Talking Heads movie, he'd be David Byrne perfectly. Um, but yeah, the, the dude in like the, in the Gill. Are you talking about Everett Gill? McGill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude's great. You know, in the Gimp outfit, grabbing his nuts. It's such a weird, twisted movie, and it's about like they're like the rich, and it has the pot that the, you know the, the how the rich are evil and the poor are the Robin Hood type deal. It has that vibe to it. There's so much cool elements to that movie that I like, and uh, I think that's one of his better. You know, it, you know, going back to like Shocker, it's it's fun, but like it's it's very borderline. It's very. I know some people like it, like love it, but uh, I'm just in the like category on that. I'd almost that shocker, depending on the day, could slide. I'd have to rewatch it, but I feel like that could almost slide into another go with something else type movie. Um, and then the voodoo ones, Serpent in the Rainbow, is hard to record. I remember that being that's a fucking good one. Um, they all kind of have movies that were made money. So they still push them, but they might not have been as good as other ones. You know what I mean? And I think Shocker's kind of like that, even though I don't hate on it. And, uh, yeah. So what? how do you feel about this film, Alexander? I, I thought it was a really good film. I enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, uh, again, uh, as as Matt said, you know, we uh, we talked to and interviewed uh, Jeremy Roberts about it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, um, you got Sean Whalen, you got Ving Rhames, yeah. uh, you got a lot of very talented people in it. Got and it's, it, ducks. You got one of the Mighty Ducks in there. I mean, how could you go wrong? Heck yeah. I mean, and, and Bill Cobbs also is Grandpa Booker. Right. I mean, you had a lot of great actors, and it was definitely a, a fun, fun film. It definitely, I, it, I would say it was, you know, better than Shocker, but not as good as Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, 
I would say it's a nice middle ground between the two of them, in in my humble opinion. I agree with I'm with you with that. I think that it I think that Serpent and a Rainbow and I think people under the stairs are on a different level than Shocker, slightly. They're yeah. they're kind of uh Shocker is kind of the people under the stairs while they're on the next level, while the other comes <laughs> are on the next level type deal. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it's because their tongues have been cut out. Who knows? It's not their fault. Um but next up, you know what I mean? After he after people under the stairs he did a nightmare cafe. Unfortunately I did not see that. But he came back and I was excited. I remember being excited for this. He came back for Wes Craven's new nightmare. And it was Wes Craven returning to the franchise to do a new nightmare in Elm Street. And it was a new telling and there was some different things in it. And are you hip to this one? Have you seen New Nightmare? Oh, I've seen New Nightmare, but it's been 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 quite a bit. This one was Yeah. I loved this one because as a fan, it's like has that weird reality type vibe to it where you're seeing Robert Englund and Heather and Wes as like real people as themselves in the film tied up in this story. Yeah. Milo, uh, the Welch's great fucking juice kid, uh, the kid from Pet Cemetery, uh, is in this as her kid. A lot of really creepy visuals in this. You know, they redo the blood scene, the bloody bed scene in the hospital with the babysitter. His look was completely different in this, but it was great. There's some such, I want to rewatch it because I enjoy it. And I know that I, 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 I'd probably even like it more if I watched it again, just thinking of like that. So when he stretched out and the look to him, it was just like really cool. I know there's a scene with him on the highway where you see a bunch of them, which was pretty fucking horrifying, but. Very cool, weird movie. The fact that they meshed the reality, I really liked that. And it was such a, I got to give kudos to West for that because that was so out of formula that, you know what I mean, than you're used to. And that was really kind of the first time I remember seeing something like that. And so he reinvented. That was another time he reinvented. He reinvented Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, enough praise can't be given to West with, with some of the stuff that he's actually put out there, you know what I mean? Uh, you got anything to say about? Music? Um, no, not really. I mean, I remember watching it, but I do have to say my memory's a bit. Fa- uh, I know I knew it was definitely, uh, definitely a different way of doing it, different uh, new take. Which I remember uh, when I saw it was kind of a jarring for me because you know I was going into it expecting another, you know. Uh, never uh, another nightmare on Elm Street, and yeah. you know Wes Craven playing Wes Craven and Heather Langenkamp playing Heather Langenkamp. Uh, but then again, it's still the fact that it shows that Wes was willing to do something different. Yeah, which I think adds a lot to him as a director because it's so easy saying, "Oh, uh, come back to another," you know, Freddy. Like, okay, I'll just. Do what I already did, just you know, with a new bunch of people to kill off. But uh, the new, the new, uh, the style was interesting. I mean, I think the reason it didn't click with me was it was too jarring at the time when I first saw it, and I just yeah. never bothered uh, returning to it. No, well, it's October. This is the month to do it. You know, I, well, I- I'll probably do that after after done recording. I'll go get myself uh, a copy and watch it. It's one of those things where I assume they went back to him and were like, would love for you to do another one. And he was probably like, 
I will, but it's not going to be anything like, it's going to be like, it's going to be more of, it's going to be the characters, but I want to tell a different story, which for him to have, for, you know, it's, he had the pull to be able to do that. It'd be kind of crazy if he didn't have the pull and still kind of made that move. But, yeah. I know. mean, plus also the, the sad part is yeah. that, I mean, New Nightmare was the last of the, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street films that he did. Yeah, I think he went, but he, he went, he, he, yeah, I think that was perfect. I think he, I think it was real. I really, uh, Wes was, he, he ended on top, I feel. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I think, I think he definitely did. And I think that's one of the reasons why he did what he did was that, first of all, I think they probably begged him and probably uh, offered him a very good, a very handsome, very handsome handsome paycheck. And he's like, well, I, He's like, fine, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way. He probably had them sign some paperwork and tell them they can't see the final product until he's done. Yeah. And um, and that's probably why, you know, they never asked him back again because they're like, well, this isn't exactly what we were expecting or hoping for, which, I mean, is good. when uh, Sometimes when you have a franchise – the reason franchises die a lot of time is because mm-hmm. you keep on treading the same water. You keep on going I, over the same path. I didn't want to. I was curious, I was questioning whether or not I'd want to go here and say this, but I just showed my belly. So anybody on Patreon want to catch that belly shot? Go to the or anybody listening? Go to the Patreon. To, I like <laughs> Scott Hawk's belly too. Hey, uh, hey, hey, hey! I I can't but, be outdone. I know, I know. So, but the one thing I would have to, the, the, I, there's only one bad thing I can say about the great George A. Romero, which pr- comes up in a situation like this. And I love George, got to meet him and everything. And I don't even know if I'd blame him or maybe the producers around him. But the fact that he started doing, like the dead movies were like every 10 years for a while. And the fact that he kind of banged out like three of them before passing, it takes away from the films, and especially because some of them aren't that good. So I got to give mucho kudos to Wes for coming back, kind of doing what he wanted to do with it and then stepping away because I'm sure they would have paid for him to follow, do another one or follow up or something. And I'm not trying to shit on George because George is the man, dude. Like I met him as a person and he was super cool and his, the talent that he is, I've been a fan of him since a childhood. So I'm not trying to crap on him. And, uh, you know, we all know how it is with like, you can only even Scorsese, the biggest of the bigs, when he did that silence movie a couple of years ago, he was trying to get that movie made for years, but nobody wanted to give him the money for it. They wanted to give him money for Scorsese crime movies, you know what I mean? Cause that's kind of how it is. So George probably found himself in a situation where that's all the, he could get funding for with zombie movies. And it's kind of a shame because. He was kind of be, him and his craft was kind of being exploited for money towards the end. If it, you know, as things do, where if I feel like if there was, you know, obviously it wasn't more of an artistic, we're talking about Hollywood producers, but it would have been kind of cool too. It would have been what really would have been cool is having him shoot one more dead, one more zombie movie. Land of the Dead, I liked. I thought that was cool. And then I went, they went downhill. But if the time that he did like Diary of the Dead and there was like another zombie or two other zombie movies in there, what they should have done is took that time to make another cool, take a guess at what the future would have been, make that movie and release that in 10 years. And George wouldn't have been here for the release of it. 
but that would have been a big fucking release. Yeah, I've often wondered, like, if things like that could work, if somebody could actually make a film. I mean, even when George passed, he had, um, oh, this, oh, it's killing me right now. Um, uh, the, it's, it's based off of like a carnival. Uh, but, um, yeah, I can't remember, but he had a movie come out that got finished and released after he passed away. And it's called the carnival or something. I don't know what the fuck it is. I could look it up, but something like that. You know what I mean? I know that, um, Rodriguez did something where he made a movie that won't be released for like a hundred years. You know what I mean? Something like crazy. It's cool. I don't know. The one, the one little smear, I think on the filmography of George Romero, and it's nothing that I don't give him hard times for it. It's the fact that those dead, they rushed out a couple of those dead movies when they shouldn't have. And uh, I only take that long journey to give kudos to Wes because I think he got in and got out. And I don't think he wanted to come back for New Nightmare, but they got him to come back and he's up in the flesh. Uh, next up, speaking of being up in the flesh like some fangs, Vampire in Brooklyn. Now, this is a movie Eddie, Eddie Murphy was killing it. This is another dude who goes up and down for sure. More than Ron Jeremy, you know what I mean? <laughs> but... um. Eddie Murphy handpicked Wes Craven, I believe, to be a part of this. I wonder if John Landis's name was in the mix because there's a few uh, people that go back. And Eddie's worked with John Landis before, so maybe it didn't quite click up. Um, but this came in, and this was very fun, man. It's like in one of those movies you kind of go, huh, what, what the fuck? I remember when I heard this was coming out, I was like, what a weird combination. Like, I, it's, yeah, I'm with I, I, it, but, like, what a weird combination, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like having ice cream with uh Coffee. with steak. Yeah. Okay, you know it, it's. I mean, I like both of them, but you put the ice cream on top of a steak, it just d- doesn't quite work. Um, but yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm a huge fan of both Wes and also Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and I remember when it came out. Um, at first, I was like, Wes Craven's doing an Eddie Murphy comedy? Yeah, that's, it was a that's, I mean, I, I, and I watched it, and I'm sorry to say I don't remember too much of it. I remember that there were a few chuckles. I mean, Eddie Murphy had some few, uh, a few uh, one-liners that I thought was funny, but I can't even tell you what they were now. Um and again, going off what Matt said, probably, uh, I mean, it sounds like Eddie Murphy wanted to do this and they're like, who, who better than having a horror icon as the director for, uh, uh, a, a vampire movie, you know, with, um, Eddie Murphy as the lead. And, uh, looking at IMDb, Eddie Murphy was one of the main writers of the script. So, uh, what I would assume, uh, being a, a fan of, uh, especially like, uh, Blackula and those kind of, you know, mm-hmm. exploitation movies of the seventies, I would assume, again, I might be wrong, that, you know, Eddie, uh, thought that he wanted to do his own almost modern update of the Blackula character, just, you know, or, or just, Taking the Dracula character itself and making it, you know, his own and not falling into those uh, typical stereotypes. 
that was um, really very well known during the seventies. Um, again, I, I I remember it was somewhat enjoyable, but unfortunately, in the end, very forgettable. And I don't blame Wes or Eddie Murphy. It's just that it's sometimes when you have two things that you love and they try to work together, there's a miscommunication mm. or, you know, some kind of, uh, um, you know, not, you know, taking a circle uh, thing and trying to put it in the square hole kind of deal. Yeah. And that's what I felt happened with that movie was the fact that you had two great talents that just didn't quite work or gel together. Yeah. I, I remember there was a dude named uh, Kahim Hardism or something like that. Hardim. Hardim or something like that, who played kind of like the Rumfeld character, who was on the... He was like the comedy relief more so than Eddie. Eddie played it kind of straight for the most part. Um, but I remember that dude was really good and I think he was from a different world which I think it was a, a Cosby show spinoff. But I wanted to, that, that hard, that hard, Hadim, I believe his name is. He's in a, also in a film called Death by Temptation, which Troma released. And it's actually, it's a really good movie. And it's kind of like an urban Dracula tale. And it's a, a lot like, uh, Vampire in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe Eddie's seen that. And that's why Hadim's in this film because, because I believe that dude was a big part of the, the indie film. But that movie, Death by Temptation, if anybody out there is listening, check out Death by Temptation. It's a trauma movie. It's one of those trauma movies that they acquired that like they, somebody like really good made it and then their, their hopes and dreams got shitted on. So they probably just sold it to trauma because better than nothing. You know what I mean? Every now and then trauma will get a movie that's a little too good to be a trauma, so to speak. And I love trauma, but they could probably even tell you that. Um, but yeah. Vampire in Brooklyn. I believe Cheech Marin's in there. My boy Cheech Marin's up in that mother trucker, I think, too. Um, very cool. Um, John Witherspoon, the late great dude. That dude's amazing in everything he does. Rest in peace. But uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, like I said, it wasn't the best thing. It can't be fun. Vampire in Brooklyn's a little bit better than John Carpenter's The Invisible Man. You know what I mean? Which every <laughs> we'll say that. Uh, after that, though, Wes didn't really give a fuck about that because he was reinventing horror for the second, the third time, which is with Scream, which I remember when Scream popped, and that was a big deal, dude. Scream was one of the biggest horror movies of all time, releases in my in our lifetime, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, you got to take it for it. It's like Blair Witch, man. You got to take it for It's one of those movies a lot of people like to shit on. But you got to kind of take it for what it is at first watch. I try and do take it at first watch value. And I like Scream. I was, I owned the VHS when it came out. I bought it. I was a fan and I, a couple of the sequels I had. Um, but I actually enjoyed Scream. I'm not going to hate. I'm not going to hate. You know, there's actually a line. I believe it or not, there's actually a line in the current film, The Wicked Hollows, that is influenced by, it, it comes from Scream, which, I just, uh, that, you know, subliminally, I knew where it came from, but there you go. I don't even know where you're going to be doing this Wes Craven episode. So what do you think of that? That's a, that's Ness and Wes is sending us a sign. You know what I mean? But what'd you think of Scream Hawk, man? I'm very curious of where Scream fits into your world because I could almost 
see you being a fan, but I could also see you hating on it. Uh, I I will say that I liked Scream. Yeah. And that's it. That's it? I liked the first one. I think the first one was was good. It's like Elsa Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, I really liked the first one there. And, of course, I'm not just saying that, oh, it's the first one, it's automatically the best. No, I just think the first one, especially when you're going in. Yeah. And you don't know what to expect. And then, you know, you, you get hit. Especially, I mean, you had... You had uh, Matthew Lillard in that. Um, and it, he had a lot of great... Uh, Pete Ulrich great... was doing it. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, Jamie he... Kennedy. You had a lot of faces that you'd later see. Yeah, uh, I, mean, Hill, I mean, you, you got Bernie Cox, David Arquette. I mean, uh, you got a lot of... Uh, Rose McGowan, you got a lot of Very great... I, me, I was actually dating Rose McGowan at the time of this. I was on set a few times. This yeah. when me and Wes got really close, but... If I, I don't even want to tell you how many times we died out the outfit that Rose McGowan's wearing when she gets killed in the film. If I told you how many times I ruined that wardrobe, don't tell, don't tell production. If I told you how many times I ruined that wardrobe, oh my goodness, you'd be disappointed in your boy. Maybe you'd be proud. You never know. But that was a short lived but- romance. That was a short lived romance. She took my heart with a, she's got a little piece of my heart. But it's okay. We all have a little piece of everybody we meet, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is, I really liked Scream. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's kind of like why I also like Friday the 13th, the first one. Yes. Is because, especially, because when I watched Friday the 13th, the first one, I had already uh, stumbled across, I didn't see when it first came out. I saw, like, uh, maybe the third or the fourth. Um, Friday the 13th before I saw that one. Yes. So when it turns out that it's Jason's mother and not Jason, that was a real twist for me. Because yeah. at that time, the Jason, the hockey mask and all that, you assumed, well, it's a Friday, a Friday the 13th movie. Right. It must be Jason. And yeah. of course, and then of course with Scream where you had multiple killers and then you had, you know, you're playing with the tropes and all that. Which I think was a great way of Wes kind of making fun of what made him famous. Because, you know, you look back at Nightmare on Elm Street and all the other films, mm-hmm. you know, and of course you see little, little jabs to not only, you know, some of his films, some, and, and a lot of other films yeah. of the predictability of, you know, who's going to die and all that. But the unpredictability of the film was this, I think, is the first time where they played with the fact that you had two killers working together. And that is why that movie, in my opinion, really worked. Because, again, it's Wes Craven playing with what you expect to happen. Hell yeah. Yeah. And also, also Wes Craven, I mean, Scream is the only series where he did uh, a bunch of the sequels too. He did all of them, if I remember correctly. I got well. Go- I mean, I mean, it's, uh, well, he did all the way up to four. But what are they on now? Like might be on five. Five. 
Now, he, he did have to scream four. He did up the four, which was pretty good. I, the fifth yeah. one, I, four, I, four people enjoyed it. Um, 2011, I remember people liked four. They kind of had a lull in them, but they were fun. You know what I mean? They were fun for what they are. I honestly can't. I probably, I, I know I watched part two. I might not have even watched part three. And then part four, I haven't seen. I, but I fell out of the loop with them. But I, I feel like it could be good times, you know? Well, I mean, I remember seeing uh, the other ones I saw bits and pieces of. Yeah. And But I never, I mean, it was one of those things. They were on TV. I'd watch a little bit and then I'd be like, eh, okay, move on. Yeah, but, they, you all know, kind of blend. they all kind of blend together. I appreciate them and they're not bad movies. Like, I appreciate them for what they are, but it's just not my cup of tea. And I appreciate Scream. The first one, and I can, and I like the first one, but like I didn't really think there was a call for two, three, and four. And I know people like the last one or the four, so I'd have to recheck it. But yeah, it's one of them things, you know. Like like music of the heart was one of his from nineteen ninety nine that I never got into. Um, it's yeah, a- I I I never saw that either. But it is kind of, I mean, the the. Uh, uh, tag, uh, what they got here is it's a story of a school teacher struggled to teach violin to inner city Harlem kids. Mm. And the cast, you've got Meryl Streep, you got Cloris Leachman. Yep. I mean, those two themselves, uh, is, it was obvious that, I mean, that this must have been, if not a passion project, just a, he just wanted to try something new. Mm-hmm. Because this is definitely a hundred uh, degrees uh, away from most of his other films, yeah, which is always great. And and I always get pissed when people are like, "What? Uh, this director? He's known for horror. Why is he doing a a drama or <clears throat> romantic comedy or you know an action film?" I'm like, I when. When you do so much of one kind, it's great to, you know, get a chance to stretch out and do something different. Mm. And I don't know how this came about for Wes, but definitely, uh, and I don't know how well it came out, but it's it's nice to see that, you know, he did a film that, with Meryl Streep and that, you know, it was something, you know, away from what he uh, he's known for. Yeah. And they he probably didn't get the push because they it's more of what they want to see from you. Yeah. Um, next up I'd have to say, you know, from the writer of Scream, but not quite Scream, uh Cursed. You know what I mean? Which I could have I thought that he produced I thought this was just something he produced for a while. And I watched it and uh, you know, I'm not gonna hate on it, but uh, it's one of those things, you know what I mean? Have you ever seen Cursed? Um, I remember seeing the trailer, but not actually watching it. This was um, like a werewolf. It's a werewolf tale. Yeah, it's a it's a werewolf one. I mean, of course, I, I, anyone who knows me, I love Christina Ricci. Me too. Um, and uh, but I never got around to watching it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just didn't hit me at the right time, but. Uh, mm. But I mean, you got Christina Ricci, you got um, Joshua De Rossi, Shannon Elizabeth, Joshua um, Jackson, another Mighty Duck in the building. 
damn, that Wes Craven likes those Mighty Ducks. Fuck. And, oh, you even have Nick Offerman as an officer. Before he was anybody, yeah. Derek yeah. Mears is also in there going back to the Swamp Thing vibe. I yeah, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm, just, unfortunately, we have to also mention, mention Jesse Eisenberg is in it. Jesse, um, and Jesse have issue, but we're working through it. Yeah, well, what can I say? Jesse is, I, <laughs> I, I consider him, uh, him and Michael Sarah Interchangeable. Uh, Michael Sarah is my dope, my dude. I like Michael Sarah a lot, actually. Jesse yeah. Eisenberg, not so much, not so much. Oh come on, they, 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 they have the same chromosome, man. They're the exact same guy. No, dude. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I can't let you insult my boy like that. But uh, I'll insult, insult him as much as I want, dude. This was right after me and Christina Ricci had a long relationship, but we were still friends, so we can keep it cool. Um, so I still didn't visit set because she told me that her and Joshua Jackson were having like a little thing, and I didn't want to get in between that. You know what I mean? I've done it before. Makes me jealous. Makes me jealous. But uh, I will say that after Cursed, a movie called Red Red Eye came out. Yeah. I, which I enjoyed. I actually liked Red Eye a lot. I'm not going to lie. Um, future Oppenheimer, if I remember correctly. But Heck they, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. a very cool, a very cool, creepy, um, the trailer, I seen the trailer and I remember going, ah, like, this looks cool. This looks cool. So I, 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 wa- I watched it and, uh, and I remember watching this really late at night sick and, uh, it didn't make me vomitous. It made me <laughs> kept me all right. So yeah, I liked it. Did you ever see Red Eye? I saw the trailer. Never saw the movie. I mean, it was. I mean, I am a big Cillian Murphy fan. Uh, yeah. He's he's a great actor. I mean, and Love also him. Brian Cox, who's also in this. Yep. Both of them are, are in in the group of my favorite actors that are living there, killing it out there. And, uh, your boy Robert Pines in there too. Robert Pines? Robert Pine from, uh, 18, I believe. Maybe not. I could be wrong. Oh. Probably wrong, actually, so it's okay. Don't mind me, I'm wrong. Uh, Cillian, I love that dude. That's okay. He's from Chips, dude. Okay, well, you know, guess I'm good. Cillian's good time. Just two gentlemen that, that from the second I seen them, I said, oh, God, super talents. I should be these people. Um, if I had, if I had these guys faces, I'd be, everything would be beautiful. Cillian, dude, I've always loved his dark look. And the other dude that, that comes to mind is Josh Hartnett, who, and they both did Peaky Blinders together, right? Yeah, I believe so. And, uh, both of those dudes, I think, are fucking incredible talents and have the best looks, like the best looks of all time. That Cillian dude, I was getting worried because, like, super talent. And he was in, like, Christopher Nolan likes to use him a lot. Yeah. But, uh, I, I was like, starting, I was like, oh man, I wonder if he's somebody else who's going to show this dude respect. And he's got a, such a unique look. And then Oppenheimer came out and it was like, booyah. Which was yeah. no one, of course, but, uh, I think with that, more people are going to get hip to him with him leading it. And he did fucking a great job with Oppenheimer. Uh, oh yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Cillian Murphy is definitely, I can say, one of the uh, best actors out there right now. The Shizzle, definitely. He's almost like, uh, I think he's going to be what uh, what Daniel Day-Lewis was for a little bit when everybody was on his nuts after gangs in New York and <laughs> there will be blood. I think that we're going to go through a little period with him. I'd be curious to see what the Cillian dude lines up. Peaky Blinders is over or is that an ongoing show? Honestly, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I mean, um, it might be over. I mean, that's why you probably didn't see him for a little bit. Never. Because I know he was doing that heavy for at least a few seasons. I don't know how many. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I remember watching a few seasons, and I was like, dude. And I thought it was good before, but, I mean, he, he's even better at, in that. Yeah. Uh, Wes also directed a segment of that Parish Jetame. Yep. Now, he, now, here's a funny thing. Okay, I have seen the movie. All right, I have. Um, but I mean, one of the problem with uh, with uh, anthologies, you have a lot of small segments, mm-hmm. and unless you're actually specifically keying into who directed which segments, you don't automatically remember right. who directed which segments. Yeah, Fred, so Freddy Krueger is not in his segment for you to. No, be. no, no. Freddy Krueger is not. If if Robert Englund suddenly showed up, I'm like. Okay, oh Michael Berryman. I'm like, okay, that's that's Wiss's segment. But yeah. um what's interesting about that is it's all it each segment is a title of I think a like a a, a, a section of Paris. Yeah. Like there's I forget how many like 13 se- sections or something like that mm-hmm. and each one is a small little vignette that either is supposed to take place in it or somehow references it. Mm. And all all the segments are, for the most part, you know, either uh, romantic comedies, uh, a little bit of a drama, but romance is always a main theme in each one of them. Mm. I mean, I remember that uh, one was, uh, it starred Steve Buscemi, where he's sitting in like a subway um, and, you know, he's, watching and he's seeing like uh couples make out and they're giving him a look because he's watching them yeah, and yeah. uh um yeah i remember seeing seeing it and enjoying it but again unfortunately it i don't remember which segment he did and yeah. uh and the thing is some i mean i haven't seen it in about like 10 years so my memory of exactly which segments uh, was there, but I remember it was enjoyable, yeah. and it was interesting because uh, I remember there were a lot of different directors from different walks of life. I mean, you got Wes Craven, you got a bunch of others that you know weren't Roman really Polans- known. Was that Roman Polanski or Woody Allen involved with them? I I would not be surprised. They had a lot of big names on that. I yeah. remember seeing, looking at them, and I was like. Oh, that's that's interesting that you know you you had some of these uh, these names. You had Gus Van Sant. Oh, there you go. Uh, you got let's see, Alexander Payne. You got Alfonso Cuarón, Wes Craven, of course, Joel Cohen, Ethan Cohen. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, that was good enough. We gave that enough time. 
<laughs> won't take up too much of Wes's thing. Um, the next up, my soul to take, which I remember loving the trailer and going. I was there like the first week, just hit theaters. I thought that name was great, and uh, I was very curious of what nods he would give to Nightmare on Elm Street. And there's a few in there, of course. It's very weird. It's almost like the reinventing of the formula again. It's almost like a shocker part two, because it's the same thing where there's a dude in your dreams, and it was like you know, it's like if you didn't get close enough. Tonight we're going to shoot with Shocker. Now we're going to make this. You know what I mean? And um, But I liked it. I thought the ghoul was kind of... I think the ghoul changes by the end of the movie. But at one point, it's almost like this burly, thick, bikery fucking trouble. It's almost like... Uh, what's his name? Dwayne uh, Whitaker. You know, how he always had that meaty, thick like uh, body type to him. It's almost mm. like a Dwayne Whitaker, and it probably could be because I know that Dwayne was neighbors, I think, with Wes for a while. Polly Shore was too, um, back when we all used to hang out and party. Um, yeah. But I remember the dude; it was like a big, burly, almost homeless dude, um, which was a creepy vibe. I almost got the vibe like he was uh, for any horror fans. There's a dude in the Hellraiser franchise. He goes, what's your pleasure? Like that guy with flies on his face. I always assumed that's what would be uh, coming to get you. Mixed with like uh, fucking Hal from Night of the Demons. You know, eat a bowl of fuck. That's all I got to say. But yeah, did you ever check My Soul to Take? No, I got to say, I missed that one. No, I And I mean, just glancing at it, I mean, there weren't any... Uh, standout actors in that. I think it was pretty, you know, a lot of new faces. I mm-hmm. think they were trying to, you know, start up like another group of like, uh, you know, no notable actors of the time. But I don't think any of them really took off. Looking for a new Johnny Depp, maybe? They're always looking for a new Johnny Depp, a new, you know, what they need is a new Alexander Hawk. Which is me, yeah. The original Alex Hawk, yeah. That's what they yeah. need. The um, But yeah, my soul to take. And then after that, he did Scream 4, which I believe people love. So he went out strong. I got to watch the, the, some of those Scream movies. It's the season for it. Um, But yeah, man, Wes Craven, what a fucking body of work that he left behind, you know? He's got ma- mainly horror stuff, but I mean, he, he, he ventured out a few times. Yeah. We know how difficult it is to venture out in situations like that. But he well, I mean, another thing is that how many how many uh, directors that you can think made two icons? Mm. Ghostface and Freddy Krueger. I mean, you I mean, could you could dabble. You could dabble and say, like, Horace Pinker in the right audience in the jumpsuit is kind of a slasher dude. I think. Well, yeah. I mean, but I mean, it's, I I think Michael Berryman in The Hills Have Eyes is pretty legendary. I think Krug, you know, I even think that Mark Scheffler, like the, that, that kind of naive kid vibe from, uh, Last House, I think. Yeah, I guess I'm going off a, a, on a. a, a well, a, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm agreeing with you that they are definitely notable characters, but, but slasher. People, I mean, I feel but like. well, I mean, if you want to get down to like franchise-headed characters, okay, 
Yeah. I mean, you've got Ghostface and you've got Freddy Krueger. I mean, you got, you know, of course, the Michael Myers, you got the, you know, Jason Voorhees and a bunch of Pinhead, all, all those others, which are, you know, great icons, but those who created them only created one icon. Usually, just to get one icon, you're, you're lucky to have and, and to hold on to. But Wes created two. That's true. And the thing is, he made his name in a horror franchise that changed the dichotomy of what it was to be a slasher. Yeah. Then he made uh, a slasher series lampooning slashers. Yeah. And that became one of the biggest uh, series out there. Yeah. And if you wanted to go deeper... And uh, you can say, I think he's the first gentleman to ever take a crack at Swamp Thing, too. So the first time Swamp yeah. ever introduced to the public outside of the comic book. Yeah, was- and and as uh, as I said before, I mean, Swamp Thing, that movie, I, I loved to death. I remember watching that uh, as a kid and thinking that was like beyond awesome. And then you have Jim Wynorski's Return of Swamp Thing. You know, no. Not quite as good. Not quite as good. Not quite as good. Uh, yeah. But no but. beef to Jim. No beef to Mr. Wynorski. Uh, which we have talked to in the past about there. But we'll see. You know. I think he was a, he was a shock treatment guest, I think. So we'll see. Another show that was on the network. Come on, guys. Come on. So as we wrap that up, though, getting down there, big rest in peace to Wes. You know, the influence is incredible and uh, not much more. Can we, You know, like I said, Insomniac, dedicated to the man, Wes Craven. That's how much of an influence he's had on my life. And, um, yeah, some of those, you can say whatever you want. Even like when, you know, Wes is a dude that before he died, people would love to shit on some of those 90s movies. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not so much that way anymore. I know I got a little rough with him, but I'm just kind of keeps it real. Um, but Wes was a dude that's gone up and down with favor. You know what I mean? Uh, in the horror audience, I feel, and people won't admit to that now that he's dead, but there's definitely, there's definitely some shitted on Wes Craven movies for sure. But even if you want to take that route, dude, you can't, you got to take Last House on the Left. A Nightmare in Elm Street and The Hills Have Eyes. Those and Scream. And Scream. But I was I was going for early career stuff, but Scream too, it's like like you were saying about the, the, the slasher people, like you can't take the fact that he created two slasher people. Yeah. Like those and I guess you'd throw Scream in there. You know, not as I don't yeah, I guess in its own way it's as good as those other ones. But those first three horror films, dude. Last House, Nightmare on Street, and Hills Have Eyes, and I know there's some stuff in between them, but by God, the the elements of psychological horror within those three films, dude, no, no one will ever be able to touch that. Try and think of another filmmaker that's banged out. I mean, you can, of course, but like, dude, like top-tier filmmakers do that. That's like top-tier filmmakers. For those three films, like if one person made any of three of those films and then just di- disappeared after the one, they'd probably still be talking about him. And he fucking made three of those motherfuckers, quite possibly four if you want to bring Scream into it, even though it was later in the game, in the big gist of things. And I think at this, this, this day in the game, 
scream is as the audience people of horror audience is born every day there's people that look at scream and go that's og motherfucker that's og horror dude scream we're older than them so we go nah dude like neighbor elm street was og like for us and then people go no fucking frankenstein was og you know what i mean and then it's like you know it's a big pissing contest of course like everything but wes is a man to get pissed over you know what i mean Pissing contest for days. Um, not him. We'd get pissed on for Wes. We'd go, we'd golden shower it up for Wes. But yeah, Wes Craven's the man, dude. Much love to Wes and all the art he's given us in the film. Films he's given us, man, they last forever. That's the beauty of film is that even when the filmmaker is no longer with us, the entertainment, the art lasts forever. As long as there's somebody to push it, he'll be there. And like I said, even the bad movies are going to be around forever of his categories. So think about how long the fucking great movies will be around forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it, baby. That's it. So do you want to say anything in closing for Wes? No, not really. Just that um, he's... He's an icon. Uh, he's he's done so much uh, for the genre and uh, for film in general. Yeah. And uh, he's he's one that I would say you can argue he's the one that that made horror art. In my That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know what I mean? Okay. Good stuff. He, he, I mean. There are a few people that fall in that category, but I, I really do believe that Wes was one that took the genre because before the 80s and all that, I mean, you can argue in the 70s they they were trying some different stuff, but uh, horror was always related uh, to the B-movies, you know, just you know, when you have a little extra money, you do some campy you know, horror stuff, and then you throw it up and uh, right before the main feature. Mm-hmm. But um, he really upped the game when it came to horror. Yeah. And uh, I think the only other person uh, I know that will probably be yelled at by someone who says, what about this other guy? But I would say him and John Carpenter are the two people in horror that transformed horror from just a joke of a genre to actual art that made horror movies artistic. There's some of them, you know what I mean? They're definitely some of the forefathers. You've got Carpenter, Craven, you know what I mean? you got to put um, Hooper, Toby Hooper's got to be in there, you know, and Cronenberg, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of there's a lot of names, you know, but yeah, I'm going to get some emails too because I didn't name everybody as well. It's very, especially with horror audience, horror fans. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean, the thing is there's a lot of, uh, other people out there that you can argue the same thing, but I think those two are definitely, uh, the, the, the best. I agree. Um, most, in, two of the most influential for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and honestly, I mean, a lot of people, you know, make a comment and like, well, you guys only like 80s horror because you guys grew up in the 80s as a nostalgia character. 
I'm like, that's true to a point, but also the fact is you look at a lot of the horror movies they come out now with, I mean, I'm the first one to admit, I'm a, I'm a scaredy cat. Mm. It's easy to scare me, okay? Yeah. I'm not saying that as, 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 I mean, that's the fact. And if I'm watching a movie and I can't get scared from it, then, and it's a horror movie, then you're not doing it right. Right. And I can still watch Nightmare on Elm Street and be friggin' freaked out. Heck, you know, give me Wishmaster. I'd be freaked out by that. But now, uh, but now they do all the, you know, um, special effects, which, you know, you can say, well, it seems more seamless. But yet, you got the uncanny valley. Valley, I can spot that in a second and be like, "Why am I scared of this?" Because I know it's not real. Yeah, you know, I was while you're talking, I'm thinking about like who would the Mount Rushmore of horror be of like modern day horror? And you got Craven, Carpenter, Hooper, Romero, and who would be the who would be the the other one? Those are. We'll have to figure that out on another episode. But what all that matters is the cravings up on that plateau, up in that 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 monument. You know what I mean? So uh, hell yeah, much res- much love and respect to Wes Craven. Uh, much love and respect to everybody listening. If you're listening here, thanks for listening. You know what I mean? If you want to catch the video, if you're not watching us on the Patreon, then you need to get on that Patreon at Boombastic Streaming, Boombastic with two O's, and uh, support the tribe. You know what I mean? We're out there making a flick for y'all. So now is the time for supporting, you know. Um, next up, we'll promote the Halloween special. You know, where it's that time of the season. We're hoping everybody's having a fun and safe Halloween out there. And uh, while you're doing that, you know, check out the, the Boombastic Media YouTube page because come Halloween time, there'll be a Halloween rhyme, you know what I mean? We'll have some of that uh, that glory, glory, hallelujah for you. And uh, like I said, we've been away uh, doing the flick, so uh, we got some special stuff for you this year that's a little flick related and uh we got um you know it's one of them thingamajingums you know so uh you know we're doing the film so you know uh we're gonna be doing the you know uh you know the thing in there when you do the thing and you know uh so yeah we're gonna be catching big old halloween special this year so be on the lookout for that that'll be uh end of the month halloween time and uh yeah we'll catch you we got some stuff for you so the rest of the year you'll be booming and now uh, we'll get some cool shit lined up, you know what I mean, for the coming year. As well, you know, for the show as well as the film. We got some guests lined up that we're pumped to bring you, dude. We're always looking for new cool guests out there, scouring our lives, everything we've ever loved in our life, trying to figure out what this era, who do we love this era, who do we love that era, who do we need to get up on the show, you know? And we're always doing it and uh, keeping it good for you. Alex is always out there jumping across the earth, act, acting his fucking balls off, making us proud. You know what I mean? Very cool. I'm trying. I'm trying. Hope, hopefully when I'm dead and buried, people will still remember me. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. I remember you, so that's good stuff. But uh, hell yeah, if you want to make this man feel better, go hit up the Patreon page. Show Alex how much you love him on the Patreon page. And, uh, so- hey, 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 I mean, heck, we, we all got, got to make a living somehow. And, uh, hey, uh, the more money we make there, the more stuff we can make for you guys. 
Hey, more money, more problems. That's what they say. And uh, be on the look. We got some other cool stuff coming. Cool stuff. We we stepped away a little bit during COVID from the filmy stuff, but now that the doors have been opened, opportunity arises every day. So we got some cool shit uh, in the works as well. But the film's main priority right now. We've been plugging away. Maybe a quarter in, maybe a little under a quarter in now. But uh, we're still getting it done, and we're bringing it to y'all. And, uh, again, yeah, thanks y'all for listening out there. This is a hefty episode for you. But we knew you would want a hefty episode when talking about Wes Craven. You craving mo time with Wes. You craving mo time with us, and you got it. Uh, this is the Boombasticast, and we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of what show, Alex? The Boombasticast. The Boombasticast. Peace. Peace.